Hello and welcome to Diaries of a Lady Gardener. If you think gardening is cool and would rather take a trip to the garden centre than go out-out, you've found the right podcast, but also you're not in the minority. New research from Draper Tools has revealed that over 80% of young people officially think gardening is cool, and that's mainly because of its benefits for the environment and for mental health. Draper Tools is proudly sponsoring this podcast, so why not join me in following them on Instagram? At Draper underscore tools. In this episode, I got the pleasure of chatting to Becky from So Much More, all about the science behind plants. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as we enjoyed chatting. Hi, Becky, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Very excited to have you here today to chat about soil science. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's an absolute pleasure. Um, So I thought we'll jump right in. And one of the first questions I thought um, we should chat about is sort of how you got to where you are today. Like, where did your gardening journey start? So my gardening journey started uh, when I was quite young. My parents were quite into gardening. Um, My grandparents were quite into gardening as well. And everybody had a vegetable patch. Um, my uncle was quite influential as well. Um, he grew a lot of his own food and that's uh, where I'm currently growing a lot of my food is at his place. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, so it's really nice. It's kind of come full circle. Um, and then when I was at university, I studied ecology and botany and I kind of nurtured that love of of plants really it was it was all about plants but plants that give you food was like <laughs> like a level up you know it's like even better than normal plants um and so at any time I had a little bit of available space I just wanted to fill it with some plants that and and tomatoes and squashes pumpkins and all that kind of stuff was just definitely the best option because they're tasty <laughs> Uh, completely agree vegetables are definitely my favorites and um, do you have any particular like favorite fruits or vegetables that you love to grow I think um I really love to grow tomatoes tomatoes are, are just definitely one of my favorites and um squashes I I really really like this sort of jungly crazy look in my garden so mm-hmm. squashes give it that sort of almost tropical feel with their really big leaves and the fact that they just sprawl everywhere and I really like it because I love being able to go into my garden and, and feel like it's sort of mother nature's done more of the work than I have if that makes sense and she's sort of taken over a little bit and and gotten artistic with a squash rambling right across the lawn or something like that it's great <laughs> <laughs> it sounds incredible and that with squash as well there's so many different varieties they all are so jazzy this year I think I've got about six or seven but every year I just discover more and more that I think oh wow that looks amazing can you believe that like a natural form looks like that exactly they're they're crazy and I think that's part of the joy of of lots of things with grow your own is just the varieties there's so much out there and tomatoes is another one I think I've got about 20 varieties of tomato this year um which is is brilliant because each Mm -hmm. of them are slightly different and then next year I'll probably have another 20 but they'll be slightly different I'll keep a few of my favorites from this year and then add in a few extras and take away a few that didn't do so well and things like that so it's the same with squashes you kind of you end up with like a a list of top three or something like that that never change um and then everything else kind of is experimental and it's just such fun isn't it and sometimes you don't know what you're going to get in terms of plant size as well 
and that I find Definitely. that quite ex- <laughs> quite exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice at the end of the year to be like, oh, how many kilos of squashes have I managed to harvest? Exactly. I think, exactly. I think my record was seventeen kilos, but I aim to beat that this year. <laughs> See, my problem with squashes is that they get eaten before. <laughs> weigh them so I quite often um go down to the allotment harvest a bunch of squashes and we'll just come back and chop them up and either freeze them or put them straight into the pan um and yeah then I'll cure a few of them but I'm I'm just really I really like squashes (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of curing them I've not thought of that um it's a really good way of making sure that nothing goes to waste I guess yeah just you know try and keep a few of them if they've been on the plant for a bit longer and they've really ripened then you'd pop them on a on a nice sunny windowsill and they cure and they keep for probably a year so um oh wow yeah they're really good value but then I'd like to freeze others so that basically because I'm a mum and I've got two little children it's nice to be able to just grab something out of the freezer Mm. and not have to peel it and chop it and prepare it it's just already done for you so it's nice having that having that option as well (laughs) (laughs) perfect and um so moving on to a little bit more of the soil science side of things um why do you think it's important for gardeners I guess gardeners like us to have an understanding of soil science so it all begins with the soil the soil is completely fundamental to growing anything and a lot of people believe that soil is just like a substrate that kind of holds our plants down um and that it's this dead lifeless thing underneath our plants and it can either be clay or it can be silt or it can be loam or it can be sand and that's just really a a huge misjudgment really of soil um so I think once you understand the way that soil works and the fact that it's so much more than just um just a substrate to put your plants into then you can start to better understand how to take care of your plants and how to take care of your soil. And the better your soil gets, the better your plants get. And it's a cumulative effect over many years. Whereas a lot of people who don't understand the way that soil work end up getting a soil that is depleted over many years. So if we can understand the way that it works and work with it rather than against it, then we're just going to get more and more and more success and it's going to get easier and easier for us. Amazing. And do you know what? Um, it wasn't until about a year ago, I've been on my allotment for two and a half years now, but it wasn't until a year ago that I really sort of started to think about the science of the soil when I started my RHS level two. And it was only then that I realised quite what a, I don't want to say minefield, but a little bit of a minefield it is with things versus dig versus no dig, different soil textures, techniques. Um, do you have a preference on dig versus no dig? I'm definitely a no-dig gardener um, and there's a lot of really good reasons not to dig your soil, um, in my opinion. I mean, top of the list is that you don't have to dig. (laughs) I mean, I I don't mind digging a hole for, you know, planting a tree or building Mm -hmm. a polytunnel or something like that. And in which case I will go for it. But digging over an entire plot to the depth of one spade is just um yeah my least favorite thing to do <laughs> <laughs> mine too <laughs> but there are loads of really really good sound scientific reasons not to dig your soil as well yeah definitely um I'm also a big fan of no dig 
but I haven't quite got there with some of the other beds. So at the moment, I'm sort of 50-50, but the difference with the no-dig beds is just unbelievable. Even just for the weed suppression alone, it is makes a big difference. That's it. And actually, weed suppression really comes as a as more of a, a result of healthy soil than anything else. So weeds will grow much faster um, in unhealthy soil because the soil kind of wants to create these weeds almost to build it up slightly. Um, so you'll find that healthy soils don't grow as many weeds and that's, that's the first thing that you notice really when you start doing no-dig. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that that was actually one of the signs. Um, so in terms of any advice that you could give to people looking to improve their soil, give it a boost, things to look for, things to avoid? Yeah, so if you want to really improve your soil and improve it year on year, um, there are a couple of things that we need to do or not do. Um, first is to not dig it. Um, and the reason that we say this is because soil structure is actually built by the organisms that live within the soil and it's built naturally by them and they have evolved over millions and millions of years to create really really good soil structure and this is what we see in nature and this is why plants in nature grow so beautifully because these organisms who are absolutely top of their game at improving soil structure do it year on year as soon as we come in with a spade and start messing things up, it may seem nice and light and fluffy to us at the beginning, but we're not the experts, they are. <laughs> so um, they not only do they aerate the soil by moving through the soil, things like earthworms and stuff like that, um, they also drag the organic matter down through the soil. So any organic matter that's on the surface, they will drag down into the soil and they can drag it metres and metres down into the soil. It's it's amazing. And they save you the need to dig altogether. Um, <laughs> and then bacteria also make this sort of glue. Um, and it's, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's like a, a carbon-based glue that <laughs> bacteria secretes. Um, and it holds the soil particles together. So it actually increases the soil's ability to hold water and it, it decreases its um, chances of just washing away if there's a flood or anything like that. So it, it binds the whole soil together, but not in a kind of clay, it's really impacted type way, in a, <laughs> in a nice aerated way. So um, the first piece of advice would be to not dig the soil. Uh, the second piece would be to not put any chemicals into the soil. And by that, I mean um, any pesticides, any herbicides, any fungicides and any fertilisers. Um, and there are several reasons for this as well. So obviously, if we're going to be putting pesticides, herbicides and fungicides into our soil, we're going to be adding things that kill in, in essence and the soil is a living ecosystem it's got absolutely millions and millions and millions of little tiny lives in there and the last thing you want to do is poison them because 99.9 percent .9 of them are there to help you so definitely no pesticides herbicides 
are going to have an effect on the plants that you want to grow as well as the plants that you don't want to grow. <laughs> so just <laughs> leave them alone as well. And um, fungicides, fungi is a really, really important component of soil as well. So leave the fungicides alone as well. Any fungi that you find in your bed is good news. It's news that you've got really healthy soil. So leave it be. And um, then fertilizers is a slightly different one. Basically, what fertilizers do is that they interrupt the um, cycle of reciprocity between the soil microorganisms and the plants above the surface. So the plants consider the microorganisms within the soil to be so important for their growth that they feed them up to 40% of, of the carbon that they produce from, um, or sorry, carbohydrates that they produce from photosynthesis. So they will send down all those carbohydrates which they've worked really really hard to make they send them down into the soil to feed the microbiology and the microbiology in return give the plants nutrients from the soil and if you put fertilizer into your soil all you do is you put the nutrients into the soil in a, in a, a form that is available to the plants immediately and the plants don't need to feed the soil biology with that carbohydrates and all that means is that the soil then gets depleted because the plants aren't pumping that carbon into the soil. The life in the soil isn't getting fed and the net result is that things get worse and worse, even if you get good results in the short term with the fertilisers. Wow, that's really interesting. It's like a proper domino effect. Again, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's fascinating I feel like this is stuff. <laughs> really fascinating. I feel like this is a, an incredible lesson for me. <laughs> Um, so you talked a bit about the sort of soil textures. <clears throat> um, is there, have you got any sort of things that people can look out for? I know that there, you have things like sandy soils, clay soils, and they're better for different um, types of plants. Is there any advice you'd give on that? So um, I basically deal with all kinds of soil the same. Mm -hmm. um, so I have really heavy clay in my garden um, here. And I added about, I, I started some new no-dig beds in the garden this year. And I added about three inches of compost to the top of the beds. And uh, I also started some new no-dig beds at my um, uncle's house. And the soil there is really, really sandy. So I added about three inches of compost to the top of the, of the beds and that was that. So I've done exactly the same in the clay in the mm -hmm. hope that the microorganisms in the soil and, and the larger organisms like the worms and things will come up to the surface and pull that humus down and aerate the soil, etc. And then on the sand, the things will come up to the surface and they will bind the soil slightly and they'll bring the humus down. So... I treat it all pretty much the same. Um, the only Brilliant. thing that I have done is I left a little area with no cover on it um, at my uncle's place in the sand and planted blueberries there. <laughs> <laughs> so they just didn't get any, uh, any humus. They just got planted mm -hmm. straight in the sand, but blueberries love that. So everything else has just been given a couple of inches of compost. And then next year... I won't need to do three inches of compost. That's that's a bit of an overkill. So I'll probably do more like an inch or half an inch of compost and then carry on. 
I feel like so much of what you're saying is such a welcome relief. You don't need to <laughs> dig. You don't need to treat the soils differently. I feel like there's already so much to remember. Um, knowing that fertilisers are maybe not the way to go, that you can treat soils the same is actually quite a welcome relief. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It just sort of simplifies things, really, I think, because as soon as you stop worrying about what kind of soil you've got and what soil pH you've got and all that kind of stuff and just treat it like a living system that as long as you're feeding that living system then it it does the work for you to balance the pH to to you know bind the soil to aerate the soil whatever you need it it just makes it so much easier <laughs> Um, and so with your growing fruits, vegetables, do you grow many flowers at all? I do. I really like growing flowers. Um, I tend to grow quite a few cut flowers and some wild flowers as well. So I think flowers are a really good way of kind of complementing the veg. Plus, I'm a girl. I like my garden to look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I really like to step outside and go, oh, yes, that looks nice. So, um yeah, lots of flowers. Lots and lots of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a favourite flower? I think I'm a bit of a sucker for um for a dahlia. I think I think we all are. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's a thing at the moment, isn't it? Everybody's everybody's into dahlias, but it's it's really fashionable dahlias at the moment. Um but I do really, really like them. The other thing I really like is um gladioli. And they're a bit, possibly a little bit old fashioned, but I just really like them. Um, I think they're absolutely fantastic. They're gaudy and they're just colourful and they're, yeah, I really like them. <laughs> they say it's a bit like the fashion trends where they come back round every 20 odd years, but I know that dinner plate dahlias were out of fashion for a long time, but they they're were. absolutely back. And I they feel are like, back. <laughs> I feel like it tends to be the younger gardeners who are more into it. And I think maybe the... Older gardeners are a bit like, oh, that's very, I couldn't tell you what the, the era they're from was, but like very 80s, like so yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, you're like, well, it's the same as sort of music and and mm-hmm. clothes, fashion and things like that, isn't it? It all comes around again and then our parents start rolling their eyes and go, oh, yeah, we did that when you we were kids as well. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, dahlias have definitely come back into vogue at the moment. Um which I think is absolutely brilliant because they're so easy and they are, again, they're just a really gaudy, really like out there plant um, and just absolutely fantastic to look at and so much variety as well. I really like the variety with them. Yes, definitely. I've got, um, last year I tried to do it, but I think a particular company may have sent me the wrong tuber and it ruined my ombre rainbow of like... Oh no! (laughs) They were like orangey pinky at one end and then they faded into a perfect white and I'd been very strict with my mum when she was helping me plant them out that they'd gone in their ombre order and then these two bright purple dahlias appeared just before it faded to white and I was was devastated. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't know, do you, until it's too, too late? Do you know, if this makes you feel any better, I had about about 15 dahlia tubers last year and I 
meticulously labeled them all and I also had a puppy and mm-hmm. he ate all of the labels because I'd done them on lollipop sticks so he ate every one of the labels I had absolutely no idea what I was planting out and I planted them out and kind of just hoped for the best but that's kind of what I do in my garden I don't mind I'm not afraid of a bit of clashing I don't mind there to no. just be color everywhere I think as long as you go for it you know proper gung-ho like <laughs> let's just plant everything <laughs> then it, it sort of works in a way but definitely yeah. I completely agree <laughs> I think as well um it's funny you say about your dog eating the labels we were talking earlier about kids in the garden and um I think with the kids you kind of have to let there be that bit of wildness to the garden the other day I was with um my nephews and we were I was so impressed at how they were sowing one sunflower seed into each cell and I thought wow they're so young and they've really understood this one one seed per cell and the next thing I knew they were chucking handfuls in the tray (laughs) (laughs) and then next thing I know the whole tin's been poured into another pot and I was at the allotment today looking at the seed tray that they'd sown and there's probably 12 of these little tiny sunflower seedlings into like a two centimeter cell (laughs) oh bless them (laughs) but they had such a good time I just couldn't tell them I couldn't stop them and be like no babies that's not how we say sunflower seeds (laughs) well that's it you know it's it's like letting them decorate the Christmas tree and then afterwards when they've gone to bed you just go and move everything (laughs) and and then the next day when they came down they're like wow we did such a good job yesterday (laughs) yeah yes you did darlings you can just (laughs) fix it basically afterwards (laughs) definitely but I also think it's really important for them to learn about it I think as a child we did loads of gardening because we had a massive garden but I don't remember learning as as much as as much as I know now I think as a child I would have found it absolutely fascinating like letting children roll in the mud and pick up worms and get to know nature I think it's really important yeah I do as well I think um my children are particularly um against any kind of gardening because obviously (laughs) I I do it quite a lot but every so often I'll just be doing some gardening and they'll kind of sidle up to me oh can I help with that Mm. and I'm like yay (laughs) (laughs) um and of course let them and then they'll lose interest and, and wander off again but I do I really like it when they get involved and I do think it's really important because it it nurtures like a relationship between the world really and it's so easy to go through the world and not actually become part of it um especially nowadays with technology and everything like that it's so easy to just kind of pass through and and be blind to everything around you and I think that really starts when you're a kid doesn't it yeah definitely I feel like as a grown-up like discovering gardening I feel like I'm sort of like five years old again running around being like oh my god can you believe that tiny seed has done that oh my goodness look at this and I I send fit photos to all my friends all my family constantly being like can you believe that this has happened look at this that I've grown in the garden my melons last year I I think I probably I probably talked about it more than I talked about my gap year <laughs> I was just like I've grown these melons from a seed can you believe it <laughs> didn't even know they grew in the UK that's the whole reason I started my Instagram was because my my parents were getting really annoyed with me constantly sending them pictures of stuff from my garden (laughs) because I was transforming the garden as well so I was like look at this new bed that I've made and look at this rhubarb that I've moved and they were like just yeah okay okay we don't actually care anymore so I was like I'm gonna find somebody who does care (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's how my Instagram started. So that is brilliant. <laughs> and I really didn't expect it to kind of um, go anywhere. It was literally mm-hmm. just so that if my parents did decide that they wanted to see, they could. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a lovely backstory of how it how it all began. <laughs> yes it's, it's all got a bit out of hand since then but never mind <laughs> we all love it sunday science is probably one of my hi- one of the highlights of my week oh thank you it's probably one of the lowlights of mine i find it really stressful sometimes <laughs> especially like last night i went out i went to the pub and then this morning Very nice. woke up and and um it was sunday morning i thought oh my goodness I've still got to write a post. <laughs> I've got to think of something <laughs> sciency that I have a photograph for. And yeah, it's, so it can be a bit stressful. But I just really, I think that by understanding the science behind plants and gardening, um, it just makes everything make a bit more sense, really. Definitely. And there's so much anecdotal advice and evidence and all this kind of stuff in gardening. Um, because, you know... Mabel down the road did something (laughs) funny once with a pumpkin and it worked you know and it's actually it's really nice to just kind of cut through all of that rubbish with a bit of science and definitely that's what I like to do on my Instagram where possible (laughs) (laughs) I love it and actually I thought that this would be another good topic um I saw a post from a couple of Sunday sciences ago um about peat in compost I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the use of peat in horticulture as a whole? Yeah, so um, peat is basically a a fantastic natural resource um, and it gets laid down over many thousands of years. It's moss, basically, and moss is a really, really slow-growing plant because it's non-vascular, so it doesn't have any transport systems within it, so it basically has to grow really, really small um so peat bogs are just layers of moss that then decompose in um anaerobic conditions and then the horticultural industry has decided this stuff's really good and it's really good at moisture retention and it's pretty high in nitrogen and carbon as well it's pretty much pure carbon so it does make a good planting medium But the thing is that peat bogs are also really, really fantastic habitats because they're very like specialised places. So there's a lot of things that exist on peat bogs that can't exist anywhere else in the world. So they're really, really important for biodiversity. The other thing is that peat bogs, I think, (laughs) cover something like 0.2% of the world's surface. Wow. So not very much. There's not a lot of peat bogs in the world, but they hold twice as much carbon as all the world's trees put together wow (laughs) quite a lot of carbon right that's a lot yeah so like i said peat is pretty much concentrated carbon and so obviously when we dig that out of the ground we are releasing carbon and we're in an age where carbon Carbon being released into the atmosphere certainly is kind of the public enemy number one. So really mining peat is is absolutely bonkers because we could be keeping all of that carbon in the ground and also keeping the option of 
sequestering more carbon into the ground as more peat bog gets laid down. So really what we should be doing is trying to encourage more peat bogs because that would be drawing down that carbon from the atmosphere and would be helping with things like global warming and stuff. So that's another reason that peat's so important. There are lots and lots and lots of reasons why peat's so important. I'll just give you one more, actually. So one more is that it, it's really good at filtering water. Um, and I think it's something like 75% of the UK's water passes through peat bogs and gets filtered. And then the water companies have very little to do to um, clean the water. Mm-hmm. But if you extract the peat then the water companies then have to clean all the particles out that would otherwise be filtered from the peat bogs. So it actually costs the water companies millions and millions and millions of pounds because the peat bogs are no longer able to do what they're supposed to do. So peat is a really, really valuable natural resource. But it's also really, really easy to get hold of. So it's really easy to go into a peat bog and scrape it away. because it's just it's just basically soil you know it's it's what you see in the bag really they they just need to lift it up and pop it in a bag and that's kind of commodity number one right you know that that's like the the holy grail of selling stuff (laughs) if you can buy a peat bog and then all you need to do is bag it up um then that's perfect for the horticultural industry but of course, as gardeners, we don't want to be having that kind of an impact on our environment. We kind of we do what we can in our allotments and gardens to encourage wildlife and to, you know, encourage bees and things like that. What we don't want to be doing is causing serious harm elsewhere. So it's really important that people know about peat, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are lots of alternatives as well. Things like manure. Um, soil improvers even topsoil natural compost as well so um, just organic matter that's been composted homemade is obviously the best when it comes to compost Um, but yeah it's important that we understand what peat is why it's so important and then hopefully that will make us not use peat in our garden (laughs) definitely and it's so interesting to hear it in that way as well because I think we all as a society we're all obsessed with planting trees to say like capture the carbon from the environment to help save the environment when actually there's a lot of other things that we could be doing that are potentially more beneficial so for example buying that peat free compost and stopping the peat bogs from being destroyed is would make a massive difference it absolutely would and i think if there was more sort of government initiatives towards it and things like that that would be a huge help it's um yeah it's pretty bonkers that that in this day and age with all the the shouting and kicking and screaming everybody's doing about carbon that nobody's sticking up for the peat bogs as much as as they should be <laughs> yeah definitely uh, definitely a conversation we need to be having a little bit more often I think definitely and it's it's a conversation that's starting to be had but I think a lot of people and it's mainly the sort of weekend gardeners the you know people who, who just want to buy a bag of compost and plant some flowers in it um they're the people who are going to continue to buy peat free compost uh, peat based compost sorry and um that's why we need to have some proper actual initiatives i mean i've considered just literally canvassing the local garden center with like stickers 
and <laughs> slapping stickers on all of the peat things. So, did you know yeah. <laughs> peat is a really valuable natural resource? <laughs> but at the moment, all we can really do is try and open up conversations um, with people and just make sure that they know, really. Definitely. I think the education is sort of half the battle. If people really understood what was happening, then they probably wouldn't do it. But I think a lot of people just either turn their head the other way or genuinely are completely oblivious to the issue. So really interesting to talk about it today. Yeah, and it it sort of goes back to um, soil science and soil (laughs) health as well, because what we don't want to be doing is adding things like peat to our soil in order to improve our soil locally because it it ruins something somewhere else so it really is enough to make your own compost or buy some peat-free compost um, and just add that to the top and if you're if you decide to go no dig basically anything that you would have dug in just lay it on the top instead that's all (laughs) (laughs) sounds easy peasy yeah it is it's easy peasy and you get a nice a nice color on top too (laughs) everything looks the same color (laughs) i actually said it to my sister a little while ago she said oh why are you not digging it in and i was like to be honest it just looks nicer if i dig it in i won't see that nice dark compost color (laughs) that's it exactly and and really we are as humans we're such suckers for aesthetics aren't we and absolutely no dig but I think that's part of aesthetics is part of the reason why we started digging in the first place because we like the look of that crumbly soil you know the the mm-hmm. stuff that you can imagine Monty Don putting his fingers into and then crumbling <laughs> gently like <laughs> slightly slow motion in front of the camera <laughs> and that's what we strive for but really that's not that's not really what plants need or want so <laughs> absolutely yeah um so going back to the plants do you have a particular plant nemesis that you just really struggle with every every time you try sorry did you say plants that I struggle with every time sorry the camera, uh, yeah plant thingy cut out <laughs> that's sorry. right um is there any plant like do you have a plant nemesis a plant that you struggle to grow yeah so my plant nemesis is aubergines um mm-hmm. The problem with me is that I really like a challenge. <laughs> so if somebody tells me I can't do something, I will go ahead and do it more and more and more and more until I can do it. Um, so I would really, really love it if somebody could challenge me to make a million pounds, by the way. <laughs> That'd be really handy. <laughs> but aubergines, basically, um, they just don't work for me. I don't know why. Um, every year... I find it almost more encouraging that my aubergines haven't worked. So I'm like, next year I'm going to grow even more of them and then I'm going to have a great aubergines. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a total disaster for me. Um, I think last year I, I had about four aubergines off of about eight plants um, <laughs> and two of them were on one plant. <laughs> so, yeah they're my plant nemesis definitely I am with you there though I've never successfully grown aubergines last year I think I had four plants and they all started with fruits and I was really excited even though I don't really eat aubergines I think I was just (laughs) never fed them as a child so I don't really know what to do with an aubergine but I quite like the um the there's like one with miso that they do in like yo sushi or something and I thought oh I can make that at home if I grow my own aubergines couldn't buy one in a shop to try out with I thought I'll grow them and then I'll try it and um 
they all went soft before they ever got to maturity and then I just was a bit confused so I've got I've got another aubergine that a lovely lady off Instagram came and delivered to my office a few weeks ago (laughs) (laughs) and it looks glorious um and I've been trying to hand pollinate it but whether they will actually fruit is another question so the thing with aubergines is that they are buzz pollinators and um, what this means is that they won't release their pollen unless they are stimulated by the exact frequency of a bee's wing. Ah. So they actually hold on to their pollen. They're not like other plants that kind of just whore it out and just <laughs> go, yeah, you can have the pollen, <laughs> and then you stick a paintbrush in there and it comes out all yellow and fluffy. And um, Aubergines don't do that. So they oh, wow. they specifically release their pollen. It's, it's a technique that they use so they don't have to create so much pollen because pollen is mm-hmm. quite a costly in inverted commas thing for plants to make um so yeah they hold on to it until they get that buzz from the bees and then they release it so if you want to hand pollinate a um aubergine an electric toothbrush is the way forwards <laughs> sounds well. bizarre but you gotta get yourself an electric toothbrush <laughs> I'll definitely be taking my electric toothbrush down next weekend then. Uh, I, I say that, but I, uh, I, yeah, I still can't grow an aubergine. <laughs> you have all the knowledge. You I know. can do it. This is, this is the problem. This is the problem. I know how to do it. I just can't actually do it. Um, and it's super frustrating. But this year I'm growing them in um, my uncle's polytunnel. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see whether that works. It yeah, might. so mine are in a mine are in a greenhouse, and I I'm guessing that the buzz pollination is the reason that they didn't work last year because possibly, they yeah. didn't they weren't pollinated. Mine were outside last year. I mm-hmm. raised them in the greenhouse. They looked really healthy, and then they moved outside, and they just went from bad to worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm hoping that that being in the polytunnel this year, they might be all right. So. Fingers crossed, you know. I think this is going to be your year for the aubergines. I hope so. If it's not, <laughs> I'll just grow more next year. <laughs> <laughs> In a few years' time, you'll have like 60 plants being like, I will get aubergines this year, I yeah, will. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the year that I'll have every plant will give me like eight or nine aubergines and then I'll be like, um, <laughs> does anybody want an aubergine? <laughs> I really don't know what to do with them all now. <laughs> I'm sure that there must be something you can bake with aubergines. <laughs> oh yeah, there's loads of stuff you can bake with aubergines. I mean, you can use it as kind of a um, alternative to pasta in things oh, really? like lasagna and stuff like that. Yeah, and just um, you can sort of desiccate it with a bit of salt, and then you can deep fry it. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, there's loads you can do with aubergines, and and that's part of the reason why I wanted to grow them in the first place because I really <laughs> like aubergines. Um, but they don't like me back. The feeling's not mutual. <laughs> oh, that is sad. It is sad. Yes, I agree. Or maybe they just don't want to be eaten. Maybe that is nature, though, yeah. isn't it? Bit, bit fussy. <laughs> Um, so we're probably about time to wrap up now, Becky, but, um, I wondered if you had any advice for a newbie gardener, this is a question I get all of the time. What would your one piece of golden advice to a newbie gardener be? So my one piece of advice would be, um, choose something that you really, really like to eat and start by growing that. Mm -hmm. If you can nail that, then start moving on to a few other things. But just don't set yourself too much of a task 
Um, if you've got an entire allotment to tackle in your first year and you're just going straight into it, then grow some lovely things like squashes and stuff like that that take up a load of space so that you still look like you're doing all of your allotment stuff, but it's not too overwhelming. And then concentrate on the things that you really, really love to eat. I think that's such a good bit of advice. And you know what as well? I think when you know that you like to eat it, everyone around you gets doubly excited because they also like to eat it because you tend to eat the same things as the people you live with. (laughs) Exactly. And plus you're going to be more sort of emotionally invested in getting the crop from it aren't you if absolutely if you really like it it's like with tomatoes you know I really really like tomatoes so I'm really emotionally invested in making sure that those (laughs) tomatoes do well and I get my tomatoes so yeah (laughs) that's I think that was my best advice definitely (laughs) I think that that was how my melons were a success last year because I love watermelons it's my favorite fruit and they really the love really went into those yeah, that's it they, they know don't they they do know they do. except aubergines they don't know <laughs> yeah Never they mind. must be a, an exception to the rule <laughs> um so i thought we would let people know where else that they can find your sunday science sessions so you're at so underscore much underscore more on instagram that's right and you've also got your own podcast the seed pod that's right yep and I'm on Facebook as well as so much more. That's S O W, much more. And uh, also on YouTube as well. So. Amazing. I'm sure that everyone will be super excited to follow you if they've not already. Um, but thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I have learned an awful lot. I think I'm going to be going away and making some notes in a second. <laughs> um, oh, it's been so lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. I hope you get the chance to chat again soon. It was so lovely to chat to Becky all about soil science. Don't forget you can find her at so, S-O-W, underscore, much, underscore, more on Instagram, as well as on Facebook and YouTube. If you've got any questions you'd like answered on this podcast, feel free to send them over to me at Diary of a Lady Gardener on Instagram or via email diaryofaladygardener at gmail.com To celebrate the launch of my brand new podcast Draper Tools and I are giving you the chance to win £250 worth of garden tools of your choice To find out how you could be the winner head over to my Instagram before Monday the 7th of June If you've enjoyed this episode please do subscribe to keep up to date with upcoming episodes and leave a review I'd love to hear what you think But until next time Happy growing! This podcast has been produced by Jay's World with original audio from Jason Matthews.